Hello, and welcome to All the Gospel, a sermon podcast from Kirksville Assembly of God. We are happy to have you as a part of our listening community. Thank you for joining us as we explore the Word together. We go ahead and turn in our Bible to Galatians chapter 4. I'm using a different Bible this morning. I'm using the New Living Translation. Hope that's not heresy or sacrilege for anybody, but I was using the ESV. I was studying and studying. It felt like I was bumping my head up against a wall. Uh, and I just read some different translations and I read the New Living and I was like, oh, okay. So I just figured we'd go with it. So it was clear. Did the children already go to Children's Church? They are free to do that. Soccer is over. We lost our game on Monday. I know, very tragic. We did everything right, except score more goals than the other team. That is kind of like life sometimes. You feel like you're doing everything right, and you still just lose the game. It will have That will have some meaning uh, for us in a little bit here. We've had some miracles happening in our church. I mean, I didn't... Um, like Gerald is doing better, and that's awesome. God has answered prayers for Gerald and for Lois. Um, so that is awesome, awesome to, to know that he's moving, that God is moving. I do want to let you all know for the next two weeks there will be guest speakers. Our very own Jason Dennis will be speaking next week i the best part of well i said the worst part of that is i won't be here to listen um angela and i will be out of town for two weeks and then the week after that twyla tracy will be speaking for us um and do remember twyla and eldon in prayer eldon lost his mother uh this week um and and so they were they were taking care of some things and then flying to Jamaica and then Brazil, like the Tracys do. So um, do keep them in your prayers. Um, I talked to him that morning, and um, just he, he appreciates the prayers. But um, so keep them in your prayers. Also, do continue to pray for Israel, um, peace, and we want God's peace to rain down in that situation. Wisdom for leaders, um, it's, it's a mess over there. Um, pray against a growing sense of anti-Semitism that is rising up, but also as Christian people, pray against uh, a rising sense of Islamophobia. Um, to just, like, Muslims need Jesus too. So, um, we just really want God to move in that situation. So there's there's just so many things in our world, big, like big, how in the world can we help Israel and Palestine come to peace? Well, we could pray. And how can we help, how can we help, you know, people who've lost or are in the process of losing people? And those are a little more tangible. We can make phone calls, send texts, go visit. There's things we can do in, in small ways to bring about some love and change in people's lives. Just let them know they're not alone. Um, there's so many. It was good to see Mita back and healthy again, enough to get to church. So um, it, it is. It's just a hard time sometimes, and we don't go through life alone. We can't do it. And I know I can't mention everybody's situations and stuff, but do just keep praying and 
and come to church if you're healthy. If you can't, we will send you a card and we will check in and see how everyone is doing. But um, yes, man, um, we're not in this alone. We're not. We're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ, and we, we come together. People think we're weird, you know. But we, we come together on Sunday morning to talk about some letter that's you know, two thousand years old. We pray and we love each other like this is a family reunion every week, and this is what we do. So, um, so I'm gonna get started so I can get finished. God has been. Keeping me strong. I'm still on my feet, still got a voice. So let's let's dive in this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3 to start. We'll get through verse, I don't even know, 20, I think. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father has set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Father, help us as we read your word this morning and help us through your spirit to know what it's talking about and what we're supposed to get out of it according to your spirit. Be with us this morning, Lord. Be with Israel. Be with of the situation there. We pray that you be with Eldon and and um, Twyla and their family, Lord, with the loss of the mother. We pray again for Doc and how that situation there. Just work a miracle, but bring peace there to that situation. God, and to Linda as she recovers. Lord, so many needs. And we just pray for freedom, for um, change for the people that came this morning. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the phrase slaves to the basic principles of this world, uh, Paul previously had spoke about the law as a tutor or a guide. Here, Paul refers to the law as a guardian, keeping the children from their father's inheritance so that they were actually no better than slaves uh, in this situation. Slaves, uh, as it says later, to so-called gods that do not even exist. Um, So... Well, I skipped the part there. It scrolled up on me. Just skip. That was a weird phrase. So they were no better than slaves, but slaves to the basic principles of this world. In this case, it seems to be a, the law, but I really pondered this phrase, the spiritual principles, the basic spiritual principles. You might have something like elemental principles in your translation, but Paul mentions them uh, in here as, bear with me for a second, I got off and now we'll get back on. So in this case, it seems to be the law. When we look at verse 8, we're going to jump to verse 8, and he talks about the basic spiritual principles, but in a Gentile context. So first it was Jewish, now he's going to jump to Gentiles. Before you Gentiles knew God, verse 8, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again to become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you 
to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. So in this case, Paul describes the Gentile context. They were, they were uh, enslaved to what he describes as weak and useless spiritual principles. Weak, yes. These so-called gods are not powerful enough to save them. But they are powerful enough to make the Gentiles slaves to them. So there is some power here, but they are weak and useless. Their only power is enslavement to so-called gods that do not even exist. The problem is these Gentiles are starting to turn back to their false gods. Presumably, some already have. That's why Paul is writing the letter. These Gentiles are starting to do, uh, they're starting to try to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. And the problem is, the problem with so-called God that do not even exist and with weak and useless spiritual principles of this world, which I've already described all the problems, they are so-called, don't even exist, useless, weak. Besides that, their favor has to be earned, is what Paul is saying here. You're trying to earn their favor. But doing so is impossible. You can't earn the favor of these gods. Why not? Because they do not even exist. They don't even exist. There is nothing in them that is even capable of favoring anything. Psalm 115 verses uh, 5 and 6 say it this way. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. These are the false gods that the world will turn to to seek salvation, but they have no power except enslavement. So the people become enslaved by their own desires to please these false gods, and it becomes a frustrating cycle of futility as they keep trying to earn the favor of these gods, but they can't because there's nothing to favor anybody. And they're starting to lose their spirit. We read it in verse 11. Paul is worried for them. He says, I fear for you in verse 11. In verse 12, I plead with you. In verse 15, where is that joyful, grateful spirit? They're starting to become disheartened as they search for things to set them free, forgetting they've already been set free. Paul and the Gentiles used to have a good, loving, kind friendship, him and the Gentiles in Galatia. But now he is worried that they are becoming his enemy or they're making an enemy of him. Why? Because he says, I'm telling you the truth. Let's look at verse, um, well, verse 12 again, but in the middle. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. This is Paul talking to them in Galatia. Verse 13. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Angel there could be translated messenger. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given to them to me if it had been possible. There has to be some meaning there, like maybe... Paul had some sickness in his eyes or something. It's, it's a strange phrase otherwise to 
show their affection for him. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? So he's telling them the truth. But what's going on? Verse 17, those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. We used to have a good relationship, but some false teachers are getting in there and getting between them. They're, they're teaching, this would be from the beginning, they're trying to teach another gospel. Because truth, I'm telling you the truth, he said, truth in Galatians always refers to the gospel. So it says truth, always referring to the gospel. And it's causing division between them so that these false teachers can slip in and take advantage of them. But Paul isn't giving up on them. Verse 19, oh, my dear children. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. We can see there, Paul is, is so concerned. He loves them so much. But his main concern, and this is beautiful, is to see Christ is fully developed in their lives. What a goal. That's our goal. That's my goal. That should be our goal with each other. That our main goal is to see Christ fully developed in each other's lives. He desires to help them, but he's so far away. And he can't get to them, so he sent them a letter. His deep love for them is the same love of Christ that we're all supposed to show one another. His desire of seeing Christ fully developed in their lives is a beautiful picture of what the church could be. But Sean, you may say, we are not first century Galatian Gentiles being tempted to turn toward Jewish law codes. True, good. But we face similar basic spiritual principles and we still struggle with the possibility of turning away from the one true gospel back to a life of bondage and sin. We always have to watch for this. So the basic spiritual principles, I spent hours studying this term and looking people up. I wanted to know what the Holy Spirit meant by this term. What did Paul mean by this term? What do scholars say Paul and the Holy Spirit meant by this term? I wanted to know basic spiritual principles. And as basic as they may be, it is complicated. So I'm going to just kind of focus in a little bit on what could be one basic spiritual principle and then maybe do some more study. I would definitely do some more studying, nerd that I am. But a good definition of the basic spiritual principles, because I feel like if we don't understand this, then we don't really get what Paul is trying to say to these people. If we don't get what he's trying to say to those people, then we can't possibly apply it to what, he's trying, what, what we need to. If we don't get the message to them, then any message we get is just going to be something we make up. And I, I don't want to do that. So the basic spiritual principles, this is from the pulpit commentary are the rudimental instructions of children. So like the basic instructions of children. So in this case, we could translate what Paul says as, in verse 3, we were like children, we were slaves to the ABCs of this world. The basic spiritual principles. Now there's nothing wrong with the ABCs. It'd be like, oh, ABCs are heresy. 
I need to learn a new. It's not that. So let's keep going. Dave Guzik says in his outline uh, study guide to uh, Galatians 4, he says this. He defines uh, one of the ABCs of the world as cause and effect. So cause and effect. This is very, very much a reality. Uh, it is scientific. There are causes and there are effects. Uh, but spiritually, this is the idea that you deserve, you deserve, the idea you deserve rules, nature, and the minds of men. So as cause and effect, we live under the idea that we get what we deserve. When we are good enough, or when we are good, we deserve to receive good. When we are bad, we deserve to receive bad. Uh, Hindus call this karma. Hindus call this karma, a basic spiritual principle of the world. Now, the ABCs of the world, like I said, is not bad in and of itself. We do and must use it in life. If you plant a seed and water it, then it will grow, cause and effect. Uh, if I do not practice, then I will not get better, cause and effect. If I go to church, then I will learn about Jesus. Because it's, it's a basic spiritual principle. But we must not base our relationship to God, with God, on this principle. Because we're under grace. God does not deal with us on the principle of earning and deserving, cause and effect. So it is, if I go to church, then I will learn about Jesus. It is not, if I go to church, then Jesus will love me. Not that. It's not, if I read my Bible, then I will have a good day. It's not, if I win, then I am good enough. I told you about that soccer game. Oh, we did everything right except score more goals, but it did not matter because the game don't care. Life don't care, you know? So, like, it's not, if I win, I'm good enough. Was I a bad coach? You know, like, there's things to be said there. Look, it's personal. I'll just move on and get over it. Just let me in. Because of this, because this is such an elementary principle, it is so hard for us to shake this kind of thinking. But it's essential for us to do so if we want to walk in grace. When we live on the principle of earning and deserving before God, then we live in bondage under the spiritual principles of the world. I'll say it again. When we live on the principle of earning and deserving before God, we live in bondage under the basic spiritual principles of the world. Paul to the Galatians, I feel he identifies two basic principles. One in verse 8, if you want to look there, he calls these so-called gods that do not even exist. So that's one. And then verse 10, trying to earn favor with God by doing things. We'll just lump that together, by doing things. The first we could call idolatry. The second, ceremonialism, or I came up with a new word. I like it. Showmanism. Showmanism. We'll get to that one in a second. Let's start with, let's start with idolatry. We don't, we don't build, you know, we don't have icons and build temples to other gods. You know, like in America. The American church. Or do Not to thinking about it. We build temples to our sports gods, we call them stadiums. We build, build temples to our political gods, we call them capitals. Do we, do we not have icons in the form of statues and 
flags and action figurines. I thought about like little Barbie dolls and little G.I. Joes and stuff as like little icons for our uh, cultural moment. Do we not turn our faces to the television and the clock with what we might call religious regularity? Let's think of the clock for a moment. I don't feel like that's going to get anybody too emotionally triggered. The clock. Is that not exactly what Paul was referring to in verse 10? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. Sure, in the context, he's talking about Jewish religious calendars and stuff, regulations. But we bow to our schedule by packing it over full with rituals meant to bring meaning and purpose to our lives. Here's my list. Shopping, sports, appointments with doctors and hairdressers. That one wasn't mine, but. Meals with friends, birthday parties, family get-togethers, holiday, tea time, second breakfast, 11sies, practices, rehearsals, work, training, dates, hopefully dates, hopefully dates. Games, concerts. In my family, we actually live by a mantra. Angela said it before she left to do these things. Uh, let, our family mantra is let's do more than all the things. And sometimes that's how it feels. Or if we're not a millennial or Gen Z, we may be a little older than that, but not much, a little older. You might be trying to keep your calendar as clear as possible. I don't want to do anything today. But either way, we bow down and we, we serve our calendar, our clock, our schedule. Now, please understand me. I, don't, I didn't list off anything that was like, oh, when am I supposed to go murder somebody or rob a bank? Nothing on there is sin. So you're like, is this bad? The list as things is not bad, but what happens is we start to bow to our schedule, and these rituals and things are the things that bring meaning and purpose to our lives instead of our relationship with Jesus. Where was Jesus? Have we scheduled our time with Jesus? Are we certain to meet with Jesus every day? Sorry, can't do that. I've got a meeting with Jesus. I'm busy that day. I got a meeting with Jesus. Ooh, that time mm, I'm busy. Meeting with Jesus. That could be church. I'm a big fan of church. I don't feel like being here today. My throat hurts. I could barely stand. And I'm still waving my arms around as best I can. Because this is it. And then we'll go home and we've canceled small group because I won't be with it. But we're going to do it. So it's important. So it could be church. It could be a small group. It could be your personal devotional time with God. I would highly encourage you to have one if you don't. So let's keep going. Is it okay if I keep going? I can wrap this up in three minutes if you want. I will keep going. It gets better. I've got my chart I haven't even got to yet. Uh, where was I? Our rituals and habits. So this is just, this is uh, the, the idolatry in this case, clock. The other one was the ceremonialism uh, that Paul talks about. And ceremonialism is not a problem for 21st century American uh, Pentecostals like us. We, we reject ceremony. It's what we do. Our tradition was born from a rejection of stodgy, old, dead religious routine. We don't stand and kneel and do, you know, stuff like that. We don't even know what the word liturgy means. Okay, so. I proved my point. Good. So we, that's not our problem. And we've adopted this curious phrase. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Which would be true enough if it were true. But we have to be careful to avoid a new form of Christian Phariseeism 
that embraces performative nonsense and screams for the spotlight. So instead of traditional ceremonialism, we have to avoid hollow gestures of religious showmanship or what I've called showmanism. I've got an example for this. And again, tried to pick something that wouldn't, you know, trigger anybody, but this is, well, it might, I don't know. Who am I to know what happened? But I wanted to pick something because Christians really get bent out of shape around certain four-letter words, cuss words, foul language. We'll talk. Well, just wait till what I got to say. Foul language has become the benchmark of a good Christian if we avoid their use, right? So if you use them, then you are not a good Christian. If you do not cuss, then you are a good Christian. But does that not sound exactly like the ABCs of the world thought, the basic spiritual principles of the world? I'm going to pause right here. I'm not encouraging anybody to begin using swear words. Let me get there. Okay. Like, oh, Sean's going to start cussing when he preaches. No. My mouth was washed out enough with soap as a child that I cannot do it. But losing my voice. Need more honey and lime. Goodness sakes. We didn't have any lemon juice at home. Jackson brought me lime juice. Goodness. I'm sorry, people. Trying to be serious and breaking the fourth wall. So it lines up with the basic. Uh, it lines up with the basic spirit, the basic principles of the world, because is that karma idea. If I cuss, then I'm bad. If I don't cuss, then I'm not bad. But that's not what it is. What about Christian cuss words? All right, tuck your toes in. Here I come. All right. I've heard it said that, bless your heart, can be used in a derogatory sense. Bless your heart, you moron. You know, like, I mean, if you want to go expl expletive, like, I can't say, like, you know, fingers and stuff. Like, oh, bless your heart. Or, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Uh, but it would be some kind of shorthand code for go away and leave me alone. What? There's nothing wrong with these words. The words are great. This is my personal favorite because I use it a lot. I, and this is so like, does it me? God bless it. But it comes out like this. God bless it. In soccer, it happens a lot. I'm still working on my soccer coach, Jesus. Uh, God bless it. God bless it. And I am cussing at them by saying, God bless it. Christian, we've baptized these things and we've turned them into. And, and so there's nothing wrong with the words, but out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Their tone reveals a heart not fully formed to Jesus. So I will just admit, I stand before you now, a flawed man incomplete and not fully formed to Jesus. I have my problems. So I created this chart over here. We might have to turn the old camera because I didn't get it moved, and that's really hard. I better take this with me. I don't remember what all I said. This is not like a, this is not, don't get carried away on this and be like, oh, now I know how to judge people. No, 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 no. 
But I just wanted to think about this in a way. We got dirty mouth over here. Dirty mouth. And we've got clean mouth. I know you can't read that. That's your fault for sitting so far back. We got dirty. Oh, we got clean heart. We're going to do clean heart here. Yeah. Clean heart. And we've got dirty heart over here. So we could have. Okay. Now follow me along. This is not scientific. I didn't prove anything on this, but just bear with me for a second. You could be in this box here dirty heart, dirty mouth. If that is you, welcome to church. We are so happy to have you. We do have a category name for these people. We would call them lost. Our emotional response to lost people would be something along the lines of love. We're going to love them. We're going to pray for them because they're lost. They don't know any better. That's what lost means. They're lost. Pray for them. I'm going to love them. Now you could go, let's go from dirty heart to clean heart, but let's stay in the dirty mouth category. This could be a new Christian. There's just one cat. There could be other people, cultural, whatever. I'm not too concerned about it. New Christian. Dirty mouth, clean heart. What a what a our response for this, emotional response to this would be something along the lines of joy. Also, love. If somebody comes into church and they're like, praise Jesus, I was an a-hole, but he saved me. And I am so, I'm, I don't even know how to use cuss words, so. Um, Jesus saves a-holes. Put that on a t-shirt. Um, but this idea, like somebody, they, they're fresh saved and they haven't learned the language of like good Christians. And they get to heaven and they are like, holy and they are just so blown away by it. And so I, I'm not even, this is love and joy, still love and joy. We can go to clean heart and clean mouth. I'm just going to be honest, Jesus. We all have our failures in this regard. We are all going to say things. And so if this were like a spectrum, hopefully we're like approaching this. This would be Jesus like way over here, trying to get there. And so, um, so we could get to be Jesus, but. Maybe like sanctified people. Um, I write sanctified on there too many letters. But we might think like a Judy Lloyd, you know, she could go in that box. Good job, Judy. <laughs> Arlene knows it. Uh, we got, so we approach that. But what about, what about the clean mouth, dirty heart? This is the box I don't think we consider too often. And this is the worst one of all because they're going to fool some people. They're going to mislead some people. These are the people that Paul was talking about. These are the false teachers. These are the Pharisees. They were real concerned about washing their hands. And Jesus was like, what's the point of washing your hand when stuff comes out of your mouth? He probably said a swear word there. Jesus swearing. Don't cast me out. They probably didn't. This is what I call the showmanism. That's where we're going to have the religious show. We're going to put on the show on the outside. But the heart hasn't been cleaned yet on the inside. And this is the problem. Because if the heart is full of anger, then the mouth speaks. If the heart is full of hatred, then the mouth speaks. If the heart's full of doubt and fear, then the mouth speaks. 
If the heart is full of lust, pride, insecurity, loneliness, evil, the mouth speaks. The heart is full of Jesus and his spirit and love. The mouth speaks. So we can clean up our mouths. We can do that. My mom helped me. Good old-fashioned mouth washing. She used lime and honey. Uh, she used soap, literally. That was long enough ago, statue of limitations. Don't do that anymore. But we could do it. I really do not, like, uh, there's not times where I would be cussing too often, but it's not something I do. I really can't. I'd have to force myself to do it. I've been trained. Behavior modification. in the form of bar of soap. A vow of silence would do it. But what's the point? A swear jar. That's another famous one. Uh, we just need one of those in church and then get like an offering. But it, behavior modification, but it doesn't have anything to do with the heart. So it becomes a so-called, a so-called God that doesn't even exist. A weak and useless spiritual principle. We don't need to change our behavior. We need to change our hearts. Now, obviously, I'm just picking on cussing. But really, you can stick your own vice in there, whatever it is, just behavior, dirty behavior uh, versus clean. It doesn't matter what the thing is. But it's not just vices. We can become, become so Christian. Well, we took communion this morning. And, and communion is important. Don't get me wrong here. But we revere communion. We revere coming to church because Jesus said he would be in them. And I believe it. I believe it. But, but Jesus also said he would be in and with the poor and needy. And I don't see us rushing all the time out to go and help the poor and needy. Not as a church. Like maybe some of you are doing a good job of that. But understand what's saying. Big picture church stuff. Like he said more often that he would be with the poor and the needy than communion. We keep doing it, but there's an outside world that still needs us. We hold the Bible in great regard. We won't let it fall to the ground. I knew people growing up, they didn't want the Bible to be set on the ground. I don't have that same issue personally, uh, but we regard, we won't let the Bible fall to the ground. But again, what about God's poor and needy? Are we so, are we so concerned we're not going to let them fall to the ground? This is the question about how how we do this again. Where's our heart at? But cleaning our behavior up is only the showmanism. Unless the heart's changed, but we can't clean our heart ourselves. So verse 4 through 7. I'm wrapping this up, I promise. Only two more points. Verse 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom. Your translation may say redeem. To buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Because we are his children, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, prompting us to call out. Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is powerful stuff. God sent. So how do we clean our hearts? We don't. 
But did you hear it? God sent his spirit into our hearts. He sent his spirit into our hearts. The Holy Spirit works to clean us from the inside out. That's the big fancy word, sanctification. So we can be sanctified. It's not outside in. Prompting us. The Spirit from inside out. Prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word best translated, Daddy. Daddy. What a relationship with God that we could call him daddy. We merely cry out to God. We seek his love and approval, but guess what? He's already given it. He's already given it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn God's love. He already loves you. We just cry out, Father, Father, and heirs to what? Grace. Paul told the Galatians to go beyond the ABCs of the world, beyond the basic spiritual principles of earning and deserving and cause and effect into God's grace. Grace, under, grace contradicts the ABCs of the world because under grace, God does not deal with us on the basis of what we deserve. Our good cannot justify us. Our bad does not condemn us under grace. God's blessing and favor is given on a principle completely apart from the basic spiritual principles of the world. His blessing and favor have given or his blessing and favor is given for reasons that are completely in him and have nothing to do with us. We Talking about in Sunday school, he has made the way. We just have to walk through it. What do we do? Believe this good news that through Jesus we are no longer slaves, but God's own child. And two, commit our lives to living like our Father in heaven would want us to live. Loving others, loving our neighbors, taking care of the poor and needy. If you want to put it in one word, kindness. And loving him in the process by spending time with him and talking to him and learning about him. Prayer. If we can boil it all down, sometimes we get, oh, so complicated. What are we called to do? Love God and love others. Kindness and prayer. Simplify it. Behind this cause and effect, there may lay even more rudimentary principles of the world. Fear and pride. Fear because many of us think that we're not good enough or that we don't deserve love. We surrender that fear today. The other is pride because there are people, and it might be some of us that think we are good enough, that we do deserve God's love. and We have to surrender that pride today. So I'm going to close us in prayer. And if you need to go, because it's 12.15, if you need to go, you could go. But I just want to um, I just want to invite you again. I'm, we're going to play and sing the chorus, No Longer a Slave to Fear. Change it. I'm no longer a slave to pride. 
And I just want us to spend some time thinking about this, that we don't need to earn God's love. He's already shown it. He's already given it. That all we need to do is accept it. We accept it by laying down our own lives, saying, I'm going to live for you, God. You love me that much. I'm going to live for you. So we there, there is a behavioral aspect to this. We can't go out and hate people anymore. Please stop doing it. We go and we love people. And he works on us from the inside out. In community, we do that. We help us out together. That's what we're here for together, to love each other, to help each other along the way. But we surrender to God and to his grace. Let me pray. And then again, I just give the opportunity, whatever you want to do, whatever you need to do, uh, apologies for going over, but I, I just, it's an important time. So, Lord, we just come before you now, humbled by your grace. Grace that allows us access to what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness and love. Lord, we don't earn it. Why? How can you be that generous? How can you be that loving? It's beyond my comprehension. I can't understand it, but God, that's you. You are loving. You are generous. I give you praise, Lord. I give you praise, Lord. Church, just worship him. Worship with us. Again, if you need to go, feel free. If you want to pray, pray. If you want to sing, sing. We'll worship the Lord for a little bit. You unravel me. With a melody, you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood, your blood throws through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear or doubt or death or sin. I am a child 
of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I don't fear anything, Lord, because I am a child of God. Oh, you split the sea. Some of you need to walk through still. Oh, there's freedom on the other side. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect. It's love that drowns our fears. Yes, it is. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. We'll sing it again. I am. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Oh, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God and the thing is fear is not going to leave you alone pride's not going to leave you alone the basic spiritual principles of this world will not leave you alone like pharaoh's armies they will chase after you do not go back to egypt do not go back to fear you are a child of god not a child of fear do not go back to pride because you are a child of god you're not a child of pride and we went through the waters and then god closed them he closed them. Don't go back. Don't pick those chains up again. You've been set free.